We've all heard the phrase, that kind of thing doesn't happen in our town. But here on Midwest Murder, we will shatter that false reality. In fact, it happens more often than we know, and sometimes the details of the most horrific crimes that happen in our neighborhoods are lost in the back pages of newspapers, forgotten on our news channels, and eventually erased over time. We're here to talk about murder, diving into some of the most controversial cases in Midwest history. This show will not shy away from the morbid details of these horrific events and the often ugly truth behind it. What you will hear is a detailed timeline of events, perspectives from those closely involved, and analysis by experts. What you will feel is the darkness that surrounds each story, the innocence lost by the victims, and hopefully the justice that was ultimately delivered. Hi, Jonah Lanto. Hello, Don Palumbo. How are you? I'm awesome. That intro gives me chills. Every, Every single time. time. I'm over here with goosebumps. I know, We're I know. We're here to talk about murder. We are here to talk about murder, and specifically murder in the Midwest, in the in the plains, in, in our region. Um, some of the cases that don't always make the front page, some of the cases that do, some cases that, you know, change legislation. Um, it's, it's, it's great. And, uh, and of course we want to, we want to share those stories and, um, tell you a little bit about it. Yeah. Let's yeah. say we're, we're, and we're, we're from North Dakota. We're recording this in Minot, North Dakota. So don't be surprised if you see Midwest murder focus a lot on small town murder right here in North Dakota. Right here. Yeah. And so today that's what we're going to do. Um, on today's episode, we're going to take you to Minot, North Dakota. And in November of 1987, um, Minot was a town um, of 32,843. And with the population of Minot Air Force Base added in there, it's about 40,000. And so, and this is, remember, this is 1987. So Minot, North Dakota is known uh, for its, uh, the air base, uh, Strategic Air Command, the B-52s, the missile wing. Um, you know, we've got some, we've got some pretty sweet Isn't stuff it, here. Bombers and mm-hmm. farmland, agriculture, yeah, and yep. oil. That's, yep. that's us. Right. A lot, yeah. lot of fishers and hunters. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, like much of the Northern Plains, that's that's what we do. We do agriculture as well. So for those of you that don't maybe uh, remember the party, part of that, <laughs> that part of the 80s or have just chosen to forget, uh, the farmers at that time were dealing with like the ag- agricultural crisis, major economic issues, commodity prices, prices plummeting, um, which caused major debt issues, uh, the impending drought, Exports were declining. It was, and then Ronald Reagan saved us with trickle-down economics. But he didn't. Wait, what? Oh, wait, wait. that was a different timeline. That was, that's that's what we thought was going we're to happen. The, we're, we're in the curse timeline, <laughs> right? Okay. Right. No, yes. I, yep. My yeah. bad. So for the rest of uh, of us, you know, um, that weren't uh, weren't farming or in the agricultural world, um, we were in the middle of the Cold War. Um, Reagan had just told Gorbachev to tear down that wall. Uh, the Minnesota Twins had just beaten the snot out of the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. Kirby Puckett was a damn treasure. Kirby Puckett uh, became a legend yeah. in this town. Uh-huh. Book Basically. it posters, Kirby Puckett oh, all everywhere. the day, all day. Yeah. Um, Tiffany, Billy Idol, Belinda Carlisle, Whitesnake, Jonah's favorite, I'm sure. Um, they were blaring on the radios at the top of the charts. Um, and so with that, you know, the 80s seem a little depressing. Ah, I, I love the 80s. I just can't, I can't get depressed by the 80s. I, I can't. I know there's all kinds of terrible things. People love cocaine. Disco was dying, mm-hmm. but the Beastie Boys came out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a, it was that, a good time I'll, and I'll a time we Ma- needed. Madonna, the, the king and yeah. queen of pop were given uh, their their time in the spotlight, their, their sure. beginning. Yeah. The the 80s. I mean, they're, they're pretty <sighs> classic. Yeah. yeah. Lots of tragic things too, but man, the 80s. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, uh, well, so that kind of set up 1987 for you. Um, 
so Jerry Thies, I'm going to take you to your first victim, Jerry Thies. He was an army vet from Circle Pines, Minnesota, which is a suburb of Minneapolis. He was a father of eight, three of his own, stepfather to five. Um, Jerry was described as a wonderful, loving, giving man, um, you know, happily married. Uh, Jerry was was somewhat familiar with the mined area and was known by a lot of the employees at some of the distributors and grain elevators in the area because um, he was a truck driver for wholesale produce supply of Minnesota. Um, so that'll happen when you've been uh, when you've been coming to the area for about ten years or yeah. so. Yeah. So people get to know your name. They do. They do. It's like cheers. Um, so Dick Kitzman, um, Richard Dick Kitzman. Uh, he was a self-described farm boy. He was from Minot, also um, married with two boys who were 12 and 8 at the time. Dick was an employee of Farmers Union Elevator, which is now known as uh, Sun Prairie Grain. Uh, Dick lived just down the road from the elevator, which was quite convenient for the the times that truck drivers needed to drop off or pick up loads of grain, which is we'll find out uh, plays a part in this. So, our murderer, Richard Lee McNair. Spoiler alert. Lee McNair. (laughs) Yes. So Richard Lee McNair was born in 1958 and was one of a few sons of James and Willene McNair. Um, James was a jewelry store manager turned deputy and later detective. Willene was your average Avon lady in the, uh, you know, in the 60s. Uh, child care worker and for part of Richard's childhood, she also didn't work outside the home. So she was, she was with the kids. Uh, Raised in Duncan, Oklahoma, and the surrounding area, McNair was your average teenager who definitely got himself into some minor trouble, but nothing out of the ordinary, nothing crazy. Little, little, little beer drinking, little rowdiness. Yeah, yeah. He would, you know, he was he was pretty mouthy, you know, those types of things. He was certainly one of those um, who really liked to push the envelope, if sure. you will. Sure, he uh, probably gave his teachers hell. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I think he gave employers everything, but nothing crazy, right? Uh, so after graduation, he... You mean it was just boys being boys? I hate that. Don't ever say that right? again. No, I, I know. I that. But that's what they say, right? <laughs> yes, that's what they say. And it's, me it's just a thing. typical boy stuff. Yeah, just it's, boys will be boys. No, yeah. no, boys. No, no F that's, that. that's actually not how it is. But not. yeah, but nice try. That's just because you're raising a. Anyway, anyway, that's for another episode uh, where Joan and I give parenting advice. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, after graduation. That hopefully doesn't lead to murder. <laughs> <laughs> right. After graduation, uh, McNair attended college for about six months before moving on to sell cars and was actually quite successful at it um thanks to assholes his... make the best salesman well he's got a hey i'm in sales Ooh. <laughs> um, and uh, he was he was really good at it because he's got like a he had a natural gift of gab um you know you don't bullshit a bullshitter right right yeah so the gift of gab can mm-hmm. take you places it can it can sometimes is, but is it going to take mcnair anywhere well boom, boom, boom. let's see let's let's dig in shall I'm, we I'm curious to see so in 1982, he joined the Air Force and climbed the ranks uh, pretty quickly after being stationed at his one and only base. Where? Minot Air Force Base. Yes, exactly. Uh, so which is about eight miles from Minot. So after wearing, uh, after you know, swearing off drugs and, and alcohol not too far into his career at, at the base here, he began working with local law enforcement and OSI, uh, which is an internal investigative group within the Air Force for undercover narcotics. Um, work as an informant. Are you so, telling me the bullshitter became a narc? He was a narc. Okay. Yes. Yes. Makes and sense. and actually, he was quite good at it as well. He was he was part of a, a pretty big cocaine bust here. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So he was he I mean, was that's, that's big time. I know. I know. So to keep himself busy, in addition to that, he worked some construction jobs, flipping mobile homes, um, and then also worked as a DJ for a local radio station under the name of Lee Richards. So Lee Richards. Yeah. So Mister Mister McNair, Airman. 
mm-hmm. construction worker, mm-hmm. narc, mm-hmm. DJ. Yes, all in his resume. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. a bad resume. No, I mean he's not not a bad resume. Seems this to guy. be an upstanding citizen, sure. right? Yeah. Well, apparently those things didn't keep him busy enough. Oh, is there something else not kind else. of on the resume? Yeah, just wait, buckle up, sir. Uh, they, he wasn't he wasn't as busy as he'd like to be because he also had a lovely little habit of robbing various area businesses, but was not doing it to get rich. He, uh, as a petty thief, he would steal things like a VCR, which in the 80s was a big damn deal. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, less than $1,000 in cash and air compressor, among a few other things. Like, yeah, just kind of, just piddly stuff. Again, a VCR was a couple hundred dollars, but yeah. v- VCRs were expensive back in the day. They were. They were. Um, especially if it had a remote. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> this would uh, this would catch up with him because as quickly as he climbed the ranks, he was then demoted from sergeant to airman because it was discovered that he was in possession of some stolen Air Force property. Oh. And so he, all these great things going for him, but mm-hmm. he got his rocks off stealing shit. Yes, that's really yes. what it sounds like. It's basically like, it was a thrill. All of these, all of these things are going well for you, but I'm I'm gonna go rip off some stuff, and it's nothing, nothing big stuff I can get away with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, stuff that I can just pack in my house and just keep keep whatever. So he was busted, didn't get kicked out, but got demoted, demoted. heavily. Right, wow. right. So yeah, I mean, he was a staff sergeant, and I believe, and uh, and then bumped down to an airman. I, bet, I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, that's yeah. Do, that's do some push ups too while you're at it. Probably, probably. There was definitely a, a conversation with his first shirt. I'm guessing. Um, so can you can you imagine that that's where his military career started to unravel? I mean, what? How? How? Seems, would... seems like a starting point. Right. Right. Well, mid afternoon on November seventeenth, nineteen eighty seven. Jerry Thies was making a stop at a local distributing company and obviously not wanting to go back home empty, back to Minnesota, work smarter, not harder. He called uh, Dick Kitzman at the grain elevator to see if he could pick up a load of grain and take that home with him. So So hard, hard, hard working truck driver, Jerry Mm -hmm. Thies. Yeah. I'm going to pick up one more load in in North Dakota. I'm going to head home. Beat feet. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to get out of here. Let yep. me guess. He stops at stops at the CD gas station down the road, get some snacks. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's it's. He figured that it would be around. You know, later that evening. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll get there. So at approximately 9 p.m. that that same evening, um, McNair, oddly enough, arrives at the same elevator, um, but he is not. He's not driving a semi. He's got some break-in tools, a pry bar. And a snub nose, thirty-eight special, loaded with some cheap Target practice ammo. Oh, he's not packing a semi, but he is there to work. It sounds like right, definitely. He's, side, 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 side hustle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His side hustle times six. Um, so when he gets there, he unscrews a light bulb at one of the entrance, entrances, and then uses that same pry bar to open up the door. So McNair's mo as a as a crappy petty thief was to always move slowly, so he didn't make any noise. And so he could quickly get um, acclimated to his surroundings, right? It's dark. He's unscrewed the light bulb. So he's the sloth of petty criminals. Right. Right. Good one. (laughs) Although this is my favorite animal. I don't like that. Um, So another weird thing that he would do at the places that he uh, he burgled. I I really enjoy that word. I love that word. Burgled. um, Is uh, remove the doorknob. Just completely take it off. Okay. So... Uh, it's it's interesting, but uh, the elevator here was was no different. And so McNair, um, he would uh, he wasn't a complete idiot. Um, he he had the chance to case the joint prior to this heist 
because the elevator is where he, along with other military personnel, would take military vehicles to use the scale, right? Because they have a giant scale there. So because of that, he was able to get a lay of the land and figure out where exactly the safe was, which led him to the office. So on his way to the office, he picked up a toolbox, some chocolate bars, which I guess I would steal chocolate as well, um, some keys, but then was stopped at a security gate that was uh, with steel bars. So once he found, uh, once he got through there, um, it was, uh, you know, he messed with the, the wiring and, you know, it was pretty He, he pretty tampered easy. with the door yeah, in some yep. capacity. And then was able to raise the, that gate. Okay, yeah. got through the gate. Yep. So he, he gets through there and, uh, and then he gets to the office finally and uh, finds a safe. And then that's when things start to unravel a little bit. So, and I, I mean, maybe it's the universe telling you that you shouldn't be burgling, um, but that's maybe just my opinion. So he found that he'd burned a hole in his glove on the hot light bulb. Oh. Yeah. Uh, when he was unscrewing that outside and then ended up with some tummy trouble. So had to make a pit stop at the bathroom. Some gastrointestinal. A little bit. Yep. Huh. And then, and then had a hell of a time trying to get into the safe. Um, so meanwhile, around that same time at about 940, Thies called Kitzman from a convenience store. Um, remember, no cell phones. Right. Right. So it's, it's 1987. He's using a payphone, And uh, yeah, we couldn't do that today. No. Um, so with, uh, with a bottle of Pepsi and a quart of Bridgman vanilla ice cream, and if you're from the area yeah, yeah, and, and are older than 30, or 30 um, you might remember how delicious it was. That was Pe- my favorite. Pepsi and ice cream. Yeah. Um, so Late night snack. It was so good. Yeah. Um, so then Thies drove about half a mile from that, uh, that gas station. It was a 7-Eleven just down the, down the road, not far, um, and, and got to the elevator and pulled up to the closed door of loading ramp number two. And then just waited for Kitzman in the cab because he said he would, he'd be right over. Sure, sure. he lives right? in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, so Kitzman, or pardon me, um, Jerry is eating his ice cream and um, just waiting, waiting for uh, his buddy Dick. So, and so Dick um, Kitzman, he lived just kind of a stone's throw from the elevator, probably like a five minute walk. So it wasn't going to be a long wait. So since the trip for Thies was to take about eight hours to get back to his home. Um, in Circle Pines, Minnesota, which is a, a suburb of Minneapolis, this was going to be a super quick job. Like, just get in, get out. So, Kitzman gets to the elevator, and he knew something was uh, a bit off because the remember that steel gate; it was mm-hmm. open. But he continued on to the, his way to the office because sometimes, you know, a forgetful employee would leave that open or whatever. It's, it wasn't Kit, completely Kit, alarming. Kitzman, Kitzman walks in, identifies the door as sort of ajar or open, and d- does yeah. does the thing that any of our minds would, would usually say is it's like, Oh, somebody left that open. Oh, oh, stupid these, gym. Yeah. I can't close that. I mean, you know, not alarming, but I imagine in the back of his mind though, I just wonder if there's that creeping feeling of gosh, something's wrong here. Yeah. I, I, I don't it know. Does, does it take a horror mind like me? Like if, if I go anywhere and a door is a jar, like am I getting murdered? Is this it? Like, I don't, I don't know if I seen too many horror movies that I, that I put myself in that scenario, but you just yes. walk in and something is off. I'm always casing the joint, just waiting. Just okay. I'm there's my exit. Yeah, it's. I mean, but yeah. I guess it's it's you know it's, it's, human it's, nature. it's late and it's human nature, and it probably and if he's able to discard the fact that it was like that, it's probably not the first time that's happened. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's a forgetful employee. Sure. He, yeah. Not a you know it happens <laughs> anywhere. So um, somewhat unsuspecting, right? Uh, so at this point, to get to the office, he has to walk through a set of swinging doors. And enter the and when I say office, it's actually like the control room as well. So yeah, it's okay. um, it's where you can weigh the trucks and you can you can manage the scale, all that stuff. 
uh, control things. It's in the name. It's control center. Right. It's weird. Uh, so that's where, you know, like I said, all the trucks are weighed, loaded, unloaded, you know, how you uh, monitor all that stuff. So he began turning on the lights um, after he'd gone through these swinging doors and is in the control room, began, began turning on the lights and noticed that drawers had been pulled open, papers were tossed about. So he knew at that point. Now he's connected. Someone's there. That door, this Something's off. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm, basically. And at that point, yeah. So those swinging doors, McNair, McNair is now on the other side of those doors. Okay. So he sees he sees Kitzman and McNair aims his thirty eight special at the back of Kitzman's head and leaving powder marks on the window, some broken glass. And instead of hitting Kitzman as intended, it grazes his cheek just beneath his right ear. So Kitzman falls to the floor in a great deal of pain. You know, he screams out. And McNair then walks through those same swinging doors and, as Kitzman had been quoted saying, emptied his gun into me. Oh, man. So now remember, this is a five-shot thirty-eight special. So there were now five, five bullets that had been, um, there, or he empties the whole thing. And one grazes his cheek, um, passing through his right leg, which then created two different wounds, and then one his, on his right wrist, which was intended for his head. And then there were also um, slugs found in two of the drawers pulled out. Wow. So if I am counting properly, that's five. So when the shooting stopped, Kitzman rolled to his side, started to breathe a little bit slower, and easily one of the smartest things he's probably ever done in his life just pretends to be dead. Uh, so which worked because it fooled McNair um, because McNair later admitted that he thought he'd shot him. And if he if he had not faked that, McNair said that he would have killed him. Sure. He would have reloaded mm-hmm. and he would have yep. finished the job. He thought it was done. Yep, exactly. So at that time then, McNair does reload his um, his gun and uh, Kitzman, still pretending to be dead on the floor, heard the squeaky swinging doors but still remained motionless. In probably um, a, a couple of minutes, uh, I mean, gosh, I mean, you're, any, you're, at any point he could have moved and McNair would have seen him. I mean, what yeah. if he would have come back? I mean, so, you're, you're laying there in pain, suffering uh, in a pool of your own blood. Right. Yeah. 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 And which is good because, I mean, it's good he waited because McNair did return a couple minutes later and uh, to turn all the lights off. And so remember when I said he had tummy issues? Sure. Gastrointestinal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He did not. For, he did not uh, flush the toilet. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's uh, evidence. Mm-hmm. All right, but that's that's it's gross, but that's evidence. It's, yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you can just you can just you can almost put yourself there because he's he's a little discombobulated. You know, he's just shot somebody. He's he was um, his attempt to you know rob this place was foiled. I mean, it's gone completely wrong. So at that point. Um, Taking a chance, I guess you could say, Kitzman um, kind of rolls over, crawls over to a desk and calls 911 at 10.04 p.m. Now, again, at any point, McNair could have wandered back in. in, But he figured it was safe since all the lights were off. So Minot Central Dispatch then um, answered, and uh, that call was answered by dispatcher Dick Schnell. So we don't have audio of the the call because, again, it's 1987. So... um, but I, I do have the I have the transcript, so I'm going to read that just to really kind of put you there. Um, ah, and, and it just it every time I've read this, it, it's it's like our intro it just gives me the chills. It is it's just creepy. So, uh, like I said, at 10:04, uh, operator Dick Schnell answers 911 emergency. 
Kitzman, I've been shot. Operator Schnell, okay, sir. Kitzman, I'm at Farmers Union Elevator, County Road 19. There was a break-in, and I walked in. They shot me. Schnell, Farmers Union Elevator, County Road. Kitzman, County Road 19, hurry. Schnell, stay on the phone, stay on the phone. Ambulance crash rescue, County Road 19, Farmers Union Elevator, a guy's been shot, break-in. Schnell, stay on the phone, okay? Kitzman, yeah, can you hurry? Schnell, ambulance crash rescue's coming, what's your name? Richard Kitzman. He then spells his name. Uh, Kitzman uh, confirms. Schnell, where have you been shot, Richard? Arm. Schnell, in the arm. Kitzman, and leg. Schnell, an arm and a leg? Kitzman, arm, leg, and maybe the face. Schnell, stay on the phone. Kitzman, please hurry. You can only imagine the amount of adrenaline that is pumping through his body that he, he doesn't even know where he's been shot at this point. Yeah, the endorphins kicking in, taking over, and, and really uh, probably on, on some level saving your life. Uh, really a brave act to, to, to feel, okay, I've got to make this phone call. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's the necessary act for your survival, but, but still a, a lot of courage right there. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, so at this time, you know, while uh, Kitzman is on the phone with uh, Central Dispatch, uh, McNair walks out of the elevator and was immediately blinded by the headlights of the waiting semi, which, of course, is Jerry, right? So inside the semi, Thies noticed that the headlights were blazing into the guy walking out, so he turned them off. Having no idea what was about to happen, his last action, alive, was to be kind of to guy about to shoot him multiple, to his multiple times. Yeah, yeah, which oh, is just ugh, ter- terrible. So Thies was sitting in his truck, facing forward, eating his vanilla ice cream. McNair states that he fired about 15 feet from the driver's door. The investigation and bullet trajectory would show that he never turned his head to look at the shooter. Never saw him. Jerome Thies never knew what was coming. Not even close. In his final moments, he turned his headlights off as his murderer stalked around the vehicle, slowly drew his firearm, and opened fire on an unsuspecting Thies who was eating ice cream. Waiting for a fi- waiting for his last load before heading home to his family of eight in Minnesota, just to get back on the road. Exactly, yeah, just doing his job. <sighs> so when when Thies was found, he was slumped over in the driver's seat, um, ice cream melting from his mouth. He'd just taken a bite of ice cream, um, which was then melting in a puddle on the floor, and was mixed with bodily matter and blood. The Pepsi bottle was also on the floor of the cab. And the spoon that he was eating with was found outside of the cab on the ground. Wow. It blew it right out of the mm-hmm. vehicle. So the autopsy showed that there were four bullets that struck Thies. Um, and, and so at, at this time, just to kind of put it all into perspective as well, uh, at this time, Jerry, or pardon me, Dick Kitsman's is on the phone still. Dick is still Kitsman's on the, on the phone. phone. And he and hears he, the shots. He says, my friend Jerry is, I, I think my friend Jerry's been shot. So, I mean, this is all happening so fast. Jerry Thies has, is sitting in his, in his vehicle, in his, in his semi, ready to go. Kitzman knows what's about to happen and, and can hear can it. Can do nothing Can to do stop nothing. It. So the autopsy, and back to Thies, the, the autopsy showed that there were four bullets that struck him. Uh, one in the neck, beneath the left ear, horizontal, severed his spine. Fatal. In the forehead, above his left eye, the bullet split in two with the largest piece exiting the skull. 
The other fragment went downwards, possibly leaving a mark on Thies's left cheek. It is believed that this was also a fatal shot. Left shoulder, horizontal path into the, ch- into the chest, stopping on the right side of his body, also fatal. And the fourth, grazing Thies's scalp. So at that, at that time... From the same asshole that just missed Kitzman two out of five times, point blank. <laughs> yeah, with target practice ammo. Jesus. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, I I mean, completely unsuspecting. Didn't see it coming. So at that time, um, an elevator worker um, had heard on the police scanner that that shots had been fired at the elevator. So 50-year-old Larry Omvig, who also lived in the same mobile home park. How very 1987 of this story, (laughs) that there's an old guy at home listening to his, listening to his scanner. Well, listen, listen why he was so alarmed. This is very 1987. Um, he, he, was, he was panicking because he thought that someone had been shot with a sawed-off shotgun that he kept there to kill pigeons. Oh, you just left your shotgun at work? A sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> Welcome to 1987 in the, in the Northern Plains. It's not uncommon. It sounds crazy to anyone who's never lived up here. It's, it would, that sounds batshit. You mean they just leave guns laying around? Well, we got a lot of pigeons. Probably not anymore, but <laughs> right. yeah, but I mean, it used p- to be. pigeons were an issue at the elevator for right. sure. Right? Yeah. So it's uh, you know you've got those high things. I mean, it, it's 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 messy. So, um, so he, like I said, lives in the in the in the same mobile home park that that Kitsman did, just down the road. So he panics. He hops on his uh, on his bike. It is minutes away, like, like literally minutes away. It is. It's a really couple good, blocks, yeah, it, small blocks, basically, small yeah, town like blocks, five yeah. minute walk. Yeah. So maybe a two minute ride. Exactly. Yeah. So he he's on his bike, pedals down, parks it along the Quonset um, near the the or on the property, sure. and starts walking towards uh, the office area. Um, so at the same time, law enforcement arrives on scene, and uh, and Sergeant Leo Keelan. Uh, you know, stops him and is like, whoa, you know, slow down their hard charger. Name and ID or whatever, yeah, probably, yep, kind of. Yep. like. And, uh, and at this time, you know, people are showing up. Um, so Sergeant Keeling goes in to investigate and then makes contact with, with Kitzman. So obviously not sure that the, the gunman had left the building. I mean, they right. don't know. Nobody knows. Kitzman had, um, was, was actually then helped out of the office um, slash elevator, kind of the whole area, by paramedic Greg Anderson. So they get him out. They get him safe. They, they load him in the ambulance. He's on his way. So at this point, then they clear everything and, and notice that he's, you know, the gunman is indeed gone. And then they see Mr. Thies. So Omvig, still there, um, waiting in the wings, uh, obviously knew both victims, you know, and, and for obvious reasons, uh, he, he later had regrets, uh, regrets of listening to the scanner that night, uh, you know, because he was on the suspect list. Being on scene like that, I was waiting, yep. I was wondering, I, yep. I, I had to think being on scene like that makes you a suspect for oh, sure. Absolutely. And being yeah. there right, I mean, right at that point, um, you know, and then, and then he had to see his friend in the semi, Sure. you know, in the cab of a semi, um, you know, and not something, it's, it's hard. It's not something you, you expect to see. So, uh, so where the hell is McNair at this point, right? So McNair was on the train tracks when when law enforcement showed up. So he would he was already starting to book it. And you know this is this so, is November. This is winter. This is a cold and windy late November or mid November evening. You know, and it's it's I would say probably a eight minute walk, five minute walk. 
um, to where his pickup is, which is at the Grain Hopper Bar. A CD, a CD bingo bar, mm-hmm. and it's called the Grain Hopper. It I is. Mean, it's called you the know, Grain Hopper. You put it together there. It yeah, burned down once, and they built it again, and it was like the same bar. And it's still the same place. It was like it never happened. Like <laughs> yeah. They just, yeah, yeah. So that's where he's left his vehicle. So you're, you're um, talking as soon as he, as soon as he shot Thies, he didn't assess the situation. Nope. He shot Thies, and he got the hell out of there, and, exactly. and he, following the train tracks through the snow, um, possibly possibly leaving some evidence there um, in, in the snow. I, like I'm just, just I, I'm speculating here on my part that that's going to be part of the, the, the canvassing on the part of investigators. And, and yeah, you're, you're looking, and he's probably running. If you're running from that elevator up the train oh, tracks, yeah, your adrenaline's it's, pumping, it's, you're, it's pitch yeah. black, it's cold. But you could, you could, yeah, you could get away. Easily. It's, it's, yep. it's, it's, it's a, he had a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a plan that he just made happen. I mean, off the cuff, because, yeah. you know, he, I don't think he expected, you would think he wasn't going in to, to shoot he, somebody. He did not expect to encounter anybody no. there. No, it, not like, at all. Like the, the, those late night pickups that, that Thies was engaging, like they're not uncommon, but they're not nightly. You right. know, it's, it's not something right. that, that happens every night. Yep, yeah, Exactly. Uh, so while the so he's now at his pickup. So while the scene was being investigated, you know they get um, you know they start doing their work on the law enforcement side. Uh, McNair goes home only to greet his girlfriend Carolyn later that evening. So the interesting part is his girlfriend worked at the hospital and happened to be there. She was a nurse's assistant. Happened to be there when Kitzman was brought in. Oh man! Yeah. So she comes home. Oh, you're never going to believe somebody got shot tonight. Right. So uh, McNair is really out of character. He's super nervous. Kinda, she kind of notices kinda, that he's a little bit weird. Kind of cagey, but tonight. doesn't really put yeah. anything together, right? So No, you're not going to come home no. and be like, wow, you're acting weird. And by the tonight there was a murder. Yeah, yeah it, it's not. You. I mean, <laughs> I might now, but right? you know, after all this research. In, in but, 2020, we might do that because right. we've been listening to right. true crime podcasts and watching CSI and doing shit like this. But it, I don't know, in 87, that was going to be a bit more rare. Yeah, it's well, a, and It's a big leap. Especially since murders um, and heavy, heavy crime like that did not happen. No, I mean, and just like our intro says, I mean, it really it did it not does, happen a it, lot here. No, it's it's it's, it's it's infrequent at best, and so often these things happen uh, that people know each other, right? Right? Like like, right. like um, often the murder murders oftentimes somebody you know or are connected to. Absolutely, yeah. Even even in a, a town that now we're fifty thousand when it happens, typically. I mean that was so that was eighty seven. Can you statistically imagine? speaking? That's yeah. just that's how murders go. Right, exactly. It is. Yeah. Well, there you go. Sure. Um, so, uh, the unsuspecting Carolyn and McNair were watching TV that same evening, um, that same night, um, when news of the murder and attempted murder broke through. And so, according to Carolyn, McNair said, "Geez, he was close and missed when he shot that guy." <laughs> So he's even commenting on his own crime. Yeah. He's not an idiot. He knows that's his. Yeah. yeah it's uh, and the she balls still of that guy. She's still not like, oh, my boyfriend's been making weird comments. Because you know hotlines come up after that. If you have any information right. that could lead to the arrest of the suspect, blah, blah, blah. Oftentimes there's rewards. I mean, I yeah. that stuff is out there in the community at, at this point. Exactly. and But she never suspected it. Yeah. Wow. Never. So law enforcement, um, you know, and... and 
the major players on the case was uh, were Detective Mike Knut from the Minot Police Department, and then then Captain, later Sheriff Vern Irk from the Sheriff's Department, Ward County Sheriff's Department, among a few others, of course, um, worked tirelessly to put it together. And during their investigation, especially that night, they realized that the murderer was the same person doing these burglaries. So Ooh. just as you suspected, there's some evidence. Ooh. And you want to know what gave the clue? Military-style boots. In the fucking snow. Mm-hmm. I knew mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So law enforcement um, caught a break not, not long after the not long after the crime. Um, and uh, after looking at several people of interest, of course, and it was a man from Minot who was in his 20s. So this, uh, this investigation goes on for a few weeks. It's not an immediate thing. No. Well, the, and right? this was this was shortly after. This is, yeah, this is probably a week or two after. So okay. it was nothing immediate. Yeah, okay. not certainly that not that night. Yeah. Um, you know, McNair's sitting on his couch watching, watching his work. Yeah, exactly. Sweating. And so... Um, was this, he still Lee Richards? Was he still being a DJ? Was he? Did he go to the radio and do DJ work that week, like he after was, he killed people? He was carrying on. Living everyday life. Yep. Mm. Yeah. And so this so this poor schlub who um fit the description, uh he was in electrical work and because of the gate, you know, so he had some electrical experience. Um he was desperate for money, but it was the wrong guy. Because the right guy was planning his Escape, basically, I guess you could say. Um, so investigators so had a prime suspect. For a little while, yeah. For a little while, but it was but the wrong they, guy. They couldn't get the, the evidence to, to connect him. Nothing matched. And so it's, yeah, I mean, what are they to do? So three months after the murder, so three months, November, so December, January, February, Just right? Three months, investigators had cleared 50 people with about 137 more to go. So what name do you think wasn't on that list? Oh, there's no way. There's no way that, that McNair's not on that list. McNair was not on that list. So, obviously... And I mean, for good reason. He's not connected to any of the parts, you know? No, and... No. He's not a worker there. Uh, he, he's not a criminal. He's not anybody with a record, you know, as you're, right. as you're making your way through all the logical steps. And at this uh, point, they just knew that it was the same guy doing the burglaries. They didn't, they didn't know anything about him. And so, obviously with good reason, causing this case was causing a, a good amount of stress for law enforcement, for sure. So in February 1988, right, so we are still in the same time period, yep. a property management company that rented storage units was sick of following up with a tenant for unpaid rent. Um, and whenever they would call, you know, the, the person answering would give just some snarky comment. They were done. They'd had enough. So they're like, Screw this. We are going to um, we're going to sell what's in storage or in this unit, and then try to recoup a little bit of their their costs or their of course, losses. That's what right? You do. Yeah. Well, they found some stuff. It's like storage wars. You know? Right. Yeah. In nineteen eighty in eighty eight. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so a couple of things that were found. Um, there was a computer that had a minor Air Force Base label on it. So property of the USAF. Um, some rolls of carpet with tags attached and an air compressor. Oh. So, so some an interesting pile of stuff, right? So this uh, property management company decides, whoa, let's pump the brakes here for a second. We've got some uh, Air Force property. Let's, let's, call get, the Air let's, Force. Call let's call the Air Force, yeah. Yeah, so she, so the, the um, 
the employee. Okay, 1988. This is a computer. It's not like a, a little laptop. No, this it's, is like Commodore it's, it's, 64 size. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this takes up the size of a room. Yeah, <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you, you you got like a tablet in there or or some again right. again a small laptop. Right, this, you've seen war com- games. Yes. I mean, it's like that. a computer in 1987 was a big ass thing. Yeah, it was I, it's rare. Heavy. It was heavy. Um, not everybody had them. Very few people had computers in their home in 1987. Right. So so yeah, you, you open a storage locker and you see this big ass computer with Mina Air Force Base on it like it red flags are going off big time seriously like red flags are absolutely going off because they stopped they didn't they didn't get rid of anything they didn't even they didn't even go any further uh so she's when she calls she's uh she's put through um the employees put through to the security police investigation squadron and answering the phone was staff sergeant steve weitzel so the tenant was, uh, you know, after talking a little bit about it, she explains what's going on. The tenant, tenant was identified as Lee Richards. So it sounded familiar, um, but Weitzel couldn't quite put his finger on it. So, on, the, on the name of the storage facility was Lee Richards. Yeah. So she's calling out here and following Hey, do you know this guy? Like, this do, you, is... do you guys know a Lee Richards? Because right. there's some Air Force-based material sure. on this storage unit. Yep. This, she gives this him the whole skinny, qu- yeah. Plant, paying on. Right, sure. yep. And uh, so Weissel takes that, and he's like, gosh, this sounds familiar. So he goes down the list of base personnel, and it's not ringing up, or not ringing a bell, um, or not matching up, I should say. And he, sa- and he goes, wait a minute, Lee it's Richards. Not, it's not matching up, but it is ringing it a is, bell. But it is ringing a bell. <laughs> it is and, ringing a bell. And now it's matching up because he's like, wait a second, Lee Richards. We have a Richard Lee McNair. So remember, it's 1987, and he goes, so what's the social security number? Because again, it was 87. We use that thing for everything. Um, She gives it to him and he looks at what they have. It's one digit is inverted. So it's, they're just different. It's just switched around that, that little bit. Something sneaky when he did the. Yeah. So he's like, hang on a second. Because obviously they're not running background checks. They're not doing, I mean, you know, it's. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, wild back in eighty seven. When, when you wanted a storage facility, you weren't getting a credit check, no. and, and you no. weren't going through a database or anything like that. And maybe no, in a lot of cases, in a lot of yeah. cases, you aren't now, but still. Yeah, it's so. At that point, he's like, "Hold up, we have our guy. It's got to be," um, because when she gave the description of the property that was found in that storage unit, she told him what was in there. Some rolls of carpet with car- with pa- tags attached. Obviously, the computer we talked about, and this air compressor. So that was reported stolen right. a while back. Yeah, so sure. Whitesell, um, being just a good investigator, um, had you know there's a, a joint lunch that the um, base personnel and local law enforcement go to once a month. Well, at this lunch, Irk Vern Irk was talking about you know, this case and everything. Well, Whitesell had remembered a conversation that he had with, with Vern um, saying something about a missing air compressor. And if that was found, they had their murderer. Oh, wow. So all of this in this conversation. So And Whitesell's on the phone. He's putting this together. Boy, he, his mind is firing off. Like I, yeah. yeah. I mean, can you imagine if a less experienced person had answered that call? Yeah. I mean, but he would have gotten away with it. Easily. Yeah. So, um, but that's the question. Does he get away with it? So they, uh, obviously they, they work together. All the agencies work together. They're like, yeah, this is our dude. So they go in. Um, what's interesting is they had searched the storage unit, then went for the, for the, um, uh, warrant on, on the storage unit or on the storage unit. Okay. So they, they search it. Then after the fact, 
Oh. Ask for the warrant. Oh. The state's attorney says, hold up a minute. Put everything back. Now let's get that sort that 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 warrant, and then they got it. So, can you imagine if the judge would have said, ah. "It's a bit of a misstep." It's, you, yeah, that could so, cost you your evidence. It could have, right? It, Correct it, me it if I'm wrong. That could cost you your evidence in a court of law. It could have caused cost their whole case okay. if they had gotten that. Yep. And and so the state's attorney had made the comment, "We don't want it. We don't want this to go on a yeah. technicality." So luckily, they they did do what they needed to do. So in that uh, storage unit, do you know what else they found? I'll tell you. 10 shell casings from a 38 special. Shut up. They found the, she had the shell casings in there? Yep. And then quit paying it? Yeah. What an idiot. What an idiot. I'm not cheering for the guy, but what what an idiot. Well, and of course, you know, now in in his letters um, that I'll talk about, um, he I was says, wondering about the shell casings. I was going to ask yeah. you about the shell casings from the, it's good from info. the scene. Yeah. Uh, he says, I paid that. I paid it all the time. Well, clearly you didn't. Otherwise, it would have never been put together. So nice try, sir. Um, yeah. So they find that. They've got it. They've got it. So now, but how do they get them in, get him in for questioning without tipping him off? Sure. You know, because well, at this they, point. At this point, they, they, they know he, oh, hey, by the, can you, this is our informant. Right. They, they're they're yeah. putting, I mean, they, they know that immediately. Well, and unbeknownst to them, he is planning his getaway. So he wants, he's, he's sitting at the, um, basically it's like the office uh it's in the pride building on base and and he's waiting for his paperwork he wants to review his file because he's he's beaten feet within the next 10 days and he's so still in the military he's still yet. in the military wow and that's so, why i was wondering why would you still be here three months later it's because you had to be because you were in the yeah. military that would have raised even more red flags if you just run off okay right exactly. makes sense now so one of the one of the fellas um, that he had done some work with, he was an investigator with OSI. Um, remember the the investigative yep. division on base yep. or in the military. Well, he sees McNair and says, "Hey, um, we've got a case that we're working on. We we need your help on it." So he rides into town on February sixteenth, obviously eighty eight. Oh, rides the into dead town. Of, the dead of winter. Yeah, oh, burr. It's cold, cold day. The kind of <laughs> day cold. that you, you step outside and your snot freezes to your face. And yeah, yeah, oh. it's it's bad. Very bad. So he's riding in with this guy, and he's thinking, and his his antenna is buzzing. He's thinking, shit. I'm toast. A little bit of heavy breathing. But justifies it. Windows are fogging up. <laughs> right. <laughs> to, can Stop you turn breathing. on that defrost? Like, <laughs> oh. Put the defrost out high. Oh, North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. So he um, he then justifies. He's like, well, hang on a second. If if I were getting arrested, he would have done it before we even left base. Of course. So he's he's like, nah, this is okay. So they pull into the the PD, um, you know, to so they could talk about this case as, as an informant. And uh, it was, you know, a fake drug bust that they were going to work on. He's still like, hmm, something's not quite right, especially when um, the officer then takes him back, not to just the office, takes him back to um, an interrogation room. Oh, so, he's like, this isn't the narc room. This looks like the interrogation exactly. room. Exactly. So uh, this time, though, of course, he was, he was a suspect and he wasn't going to help. So he wasn't going to answer any of their questions either and like anything so, especially yeah, they, when the contents of the storage unit were brought up he shuts down they they get him in the room mm-hmm. and instead of being all narky and, and presenting this case to hey we want to talk to you about this murder mm-hmm. and this stolen this 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 we stolen this stolen stuff that we have in a storage unit with your name on it yeah. what do you get to say where where were you the night of, of you know they start asking well, i'm sure where were you the night of right. What were you doing? Mm-hmm. Were you were you at the grain elevator at this time? Right. What were you doing? Uh, hey, like, this place was burgled. 
I'm just going to say it every chance I get, was was robbed, you know, on this date. You know, Do you know anything about anything that? Anything about that? They're just hitting him with questions. Right. And, and he, he is, he's realizing he's in trouble. And he lawyers up relatively quickly. His I'm fucked meter is going it is sky bumping. high. Yep. He's like, nope, I'm done. I'm done talking. So. Uh, he shuts down and says, we want a lawyer. I want a lawyer. That's They're it. like, okay, fine. Fine. Then that's what you will get. Uh, because, of course, that's a right. So police, um, during a pat down, uh, find a three eighty pistol, which happens to be McNair's father's. Um, in, in the front of his pants. Now, this is where things are a little sketchy. Um, just got into the cop shop that deep with a, with a, with a gun. What yeah. if he had really panicked in there? Like, that's, that's crazy. Right. He got, so he got all the way into this room where they were going to interrogate him with a weapon or before? And it, and it wasn't... He, this, is, this is the part that's sketchy, is because some of the reports, from the, some of the law enforcement reports, and then, you know, what McNair is saying, which at this point... He's a smooth talker. We know that. Oh, for sure. So I'm not sure that I trust it. Uh, stories are different. And some of the reports are different. Some of the other investigations into it were different. Okay. So it's... it's Conflicting reports here. Nobody knows what the actual truth is, um, in my opinion, um, except those that were there. So, yeah, stories just don't add up. Um, one of the de- de- detectives said that it was found during the pat-down. McNair states that uh, when he asked to use the restroom, again, for tummy troubles, dude, fix your diet. Yeah. Like, what is going on? He told the officer um, while he was in the bathroom that he had a gun. So the officer is saying that he found it on a pat-down. McNair is saying he oh, didn't no, find I, it until okay. I was about to shit my pants. Okay, so one way or the other. Right. Po- they possible find this gun. weapon in there. They find the gun. And this is, I mean, this is a safety issue, right? Big yeah, time. Yes, yeah. So he was then put into a makeshift holding cell and was about to, it was trying to, to mess with the door to get out, um, but then was moved to the detective's office uh, and cuffed to a chair. Okay. So while officers were discussing the case, doing a little paperwork, McNair slipped a, a free hand into his pocket and pulled out a handcuff key. Again, how does that get missed in a pat down? How? You're just walking around with a handcuff key. Well, it didn't, it didn't fit. Thank God, it didn't fit. Okay, I'm going. I'm going. Jesus, man, who just? Hey, who who has just a handcuff key? Let me just keep this. You know with what? Me. He is narcissistic that's, enough to carry one. That, okay, yeah, it's fair. You know, he's he's a murderer. That's who, Jonah. A, a, like it's yeah. Get it, get it. Somebody who murders and burgles. Keep up, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, he's carrying this around. He, you know, at this point, he's an informant. He thinks he's a fake cop. He's a narcissistic, smooth talker, yeah. incredibly intelligent. Um, but again, it's a little, it's a little sketchy on this next piece because since that doesn't fit, he's got to figure out another way. So he's going to, he's handcuffed to the chair. Yeah. And he's going to MacGyver the shit out of this at this point. Um, so he then, and and this, and this is where it, it, it changes. So he, according to some reports, he slipped a hand into an officer's desk drawer and pulled out some chapstick. He claims that he had a pocket full of stuff. He claims that he had the handcuff key, obviously the chapstick, his wallet, and some cash and credit cards in his pocket. Again, it's a pat down. You get that stuff out of those pockets before. I, I mean, you, you've got to have a secure inmate here. Sure. And so that but it, one. But, you but know, if they did, if they were playing on the idea that he wasn't an inmate when they first patted him down, if they did that initial pat down, like I get. Nope. Do I gotta think, call it. I gotta call it. That's bullshit. No, because if even you, as a CI. As, I as mean, a CI, you, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna protect yourself. Granted, but again, if they this really is 1987. Li- if, they really, if they really liked him and he was friendly and he bullshitted around there mm-hmm. and right, oh, oh, that's 
you know, that's just old Lee Richards. He's fine. He can have his chapstick. You don't got to take his chapstick. You don't got to take his wallet. I, Upon first letting him in there, you know. Right. Or or maybe those same, same things were said after they'd found that gun. Right. You know, ah, it's just a chapstick. Ah, it's just this. Well, you know what? MacGyver just needed a piece of gum. So one way or so. the other, he's he's handcuffed. And usually I think when they do that handcuff to the chair, don't they? Isn't it just one hand to the chair? Um, it depends. Again, it's or, 1987. Or it different. Like, I, I just don't see him. It, it wasn't hands behind him handcuffed around the chair. I, it's, it's tough hard to say. For, it's, no, it is. It's hard for me to, to think that that's how it was, though. Otherwise, how would he get away? That's tougher to get away from. You couldn't have. Right. In, in the story where they say he reached his arm into mm-hmm. into the desk, then that right. would have to mean. It would have to be a free hand. He had one free hand. Right. So I mean, he's got to, he had to have had one free hand here. He had to have. Just the way it, just the way it sounds. Um, and again, like you said, they know him. They're, he's not gonna. He's not gonna mess with them. He's not gonna dick around with them, right? In theory, but they know him and they think he's a murderer now too. So, now, they, should, so they should think of him a little bit differently. Well, and and I don't care who it is. You have to pat somebody down for your safety and theirs. That's yeah. what you always say. That's the, that's the that's the wording. So I, I he gets the chapstick. Yeah. So he gets the chapstick. Back to it. Um, and he begins to escape for the first time. So he rubs the chapstick on his on his wrist, and he's able to slip it out of the handcuff. Jesus. And he gone. So I can, for me, it'd be a lot easier. I can just dislocate my thumbs and slide uh, them out of there. No, I can't. Oh, I'm I kidding. Say, I, just, I would never be able to. And I get nervous. I, I like, I swell up. And I would never be able to get my hand out. I would oh start no. getting sweaty. And oh no. It'd be weird. That's why I'm just not going to break the law. Um, so he's, good plan. <laughs> he, good he slips plan. out of officer's reach. I mean, they see it. It's like um, the way it's described in a couple of, of the um, resources. It's like Barney Fife type thing. I mean, but I, I'm sure they were all caught off by or caught by surprise. You sure. know, caught off guard. Definitely, and he had the element of surprise. Absolutely, absolutely. yeah, very good. It, yeah, it, it goes a long way. It, it does. It really, really does. I think. I think it's it's easy for a regular person to underestimate what the element surprise really sure. does for a person right. in any of these given scenarios. Because most of us are never faced with that situation where we get surprised or we are surprising somebody. I mean, it just you catch them so off guard. Right. Well, and it's easy to Monday morning quarterback and be like, I would never do that. Well, you don't know. Have you ever been surprised? <laughs> Has somebody ever popped out from around the corner and scared the shit out of you? Because right. I do it to people you every day. And let me tell you, most people are pretty unsuspecting of that kind of thing right. happening to them. Right. So imagine when it's a, a somebody who's supposed to be Handcuffed, you know, a secure inmate secure. at this point. Yeah. Um, so he ends up, he, he bolts out of the police department, um, runs down the sidewalk, ends up knocking on this woman's door, this little unsuspecting little lady's door. Um, and makes up some bullshit story about how he needs to, you know, like in the movies, commandeer her vehicle, and ends up stealing because it was it was stealing a Lincoln Continental. FBI, I need your car. Right? And she's like, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, so some he's, nice little lady. He's and he's sailing down the 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 street in a yacht. I mean, he's just cruising, right? Is it a Lincoln Continental? A Lincoln Continental. Yeah, it's a boat. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a boat. It's longer than it's a you know a princess boat. cruise ship, and so. He gets through, and the main thoroughfare, the main road in Minot is, we call it Broadway in town, but it's actually U.S. Uh, Highway 83. So he turns onto that road, right? So not far from the police department, just a few blocks, maybe eight blocks. Oh, yeah. It's um, close. It's very close. And the Lincoln breaks down. The land yacht breaks down. On Broadway. On Broadway. Busiest thoroughfare in the city. Yes. Wow. So at this time... Because you can't make this shit up. You can't. <laughs> and oh, my gosh, it gets worse. So at this time... Uh, they've put out what's called a signal 100. 
And that means all hands on deck. It doesn't matter if you got off at 7 and it's 7.30 and you're sleeping. All hands on deck. Everybody out the door. You get in your vehicle. You set up. You know, everybody's assigned uh, a, a entry point or exit point of the city. Kind of trying to create a perimeter. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it is you get to where you need to go and you get there now. So they've, at this time, have, have called the Signal 100. So he's broken down on Broadway, main thoroughfare, busiest road in town. And uh, who passes by but a state trooper? Got him. Right. You'd think so. So state trooper stops and looks at him and apparently missed the Signal 100 because then he just keeps on growing. Keeps, just keeps trucking. Just a polite little, everything okay here, sir? Can, yep. can I help you out with your vehicle? Nope. I'm, 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 I'm fine. Really? I've got it. Wow. And that's, and that's it. Oof. So if it, if it made the after story, you guarantee it, it made it to that guy's supervisor. Oh, yeah. And he, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in a game of cat and mouse, um, I mean, this isn't over. He, um, McNair bolts down. Um, so we're probably Ab- abandons now. Abandons the vehicle. Yeah. He's, he's done with the land yacht. He's, he's done there. So he, he heads over to some housing near the hospital, which is probably about a mile, mile and a half away from the PD. So not a, I mean, McNair is a, at this point, I mean, he's a self-described runner. He's, he's there in no time. Sure. He's fit. So, yep. Yep. So he gets to his house and that's where, that's where it's at by the hospital. And he climbs the roof, uh, gets to his apartment, tries to grab a couple things, takes the time to write a letter to sweet Carolyn. Oh, you know, sweet. I mean, they wrote a song right. about her. So well, like, Caroline, but it'll fit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so police are hot on his tail. Nowhere to go. He's on the third floor. He jumps out the window. Oh, they get him. He's, he's sitting there writing his dumbass love letter. You know, like, seriously, and they, they're ba- they bang on the door. McNair, police, are you in there? Right. Like, and he's like, oh, sh- oh shit. Uh, love, love, love always. McNair. Love Richard always. McNair. Like, yeah. It's like, come on. Like, I got to get to the window. So he panics, jumps out of the third story window into a tree. Oh. Uh, all's good, right? Just shimmy down the tree and keep bolting, buddy. No. The branch broke and McNair falls and injures his back. Ooh. He's toast. Wipe out. And that's how he gets caught. <laughs> and they get him. As, as dramatic as it started. It's very anticlimactic ending. Jump out a window, hit a tree, hit the ground. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I can't. Right. He's, he's done. done. You got me. So, uh, you know, law enforcement, they, they start building a case. Make I mean, sure Carolyn gets my letter. <laughs> right. Right. Please. Please, please send Carolyn my letter. <laughs> so while he's, while he's, uh, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, just... I, I, the part of like, it's just it's like, really guy? I mean, you took the time to write a letter. I, I, I Right from, how many sentences? How quickly is he writing? Because if you don't write the letter, what if that's that's the difference right. in, in like getting ahead of the cops and getting away? Oh, that, that was it. Was she worth it? Probably not. <laughs> anyway, uh, so law enforcement, um, you know, while he's he's got a, a you know some ailments, he's in the hospital, um, then taken over to Ward County Jail. He's now in custody. Uh, law enforcement start they they start building their case against him, and it it wasn't too difficult. And then he confessed. Sure. Okay. So he confessed to everything, um, and and it did it did work. Um, he ended up pleading guilty to all the charges against him, uh, and was given two life sentences, and then sentenced to the state penitentiary here in Bis- or in Bismarck, um, so in Bismarck, North Dakota. And according to his defense attorney, who's now since passed, um, Richard Thomas. This is this is his quote. He had given exhaustive statements to the cops about the killing. He confessed it all, and he was colder than a mackerel. He showed absolutely no remorse. Wow. So that's his defense attorney. 
That's his attorney. So McNair had this to say about the shooting. If someone had asked me if I would shoot a good man just going about putting food on his family's table, earning an honest dollar, no way in hell I could think I was capable of that. I despise people like that. Scum who break down a family's door and do home invasions. Scum who pistol whip a cashier to get them to open the register. They have the excuse of drugs or alcohol abuse or trying to put food on their family's table. None of which makes it right. I am sorrier than they are. What I did, I did out of boredom. Maybe in a way trying to get back at Minot and the Air Force for sending me there. I was nothing more than a spoiled, feel sorry for poor Ricky piece of shit. What I did that night is beyond the pale of human. I often think of what I did and it makes me ill. If I dwelled on those actions, it would put me in a tailspin. There is no excuse for the atrocity I alone committed in 1987. Anything I say would be disrespectful to the memory of Mr. Jerome Thies and the pain Mr. Kitzman and both families suffered. So during a psychiatric eval, he was described as having above average intelligence. To quote uh, one of the marshals that dealt with him, intelligence with an ability with an ability to con is a deadly combination. Retired detective Mike Knoop described him as the kind of guy who would steal your car, sell it back to you, and you'd think you got a heck of a deal. Oh, that's so I mean, that's like that's a that's a compliment. I mean, in a way, like that's in that's a way a, that's such a crazy it's a crazy compliment. But it's a it's dangerous. It's a dangerous it's person. Dangerous because but, look at I mean, if yeah. you look at this, and even if his even if his attorney. Oh, yeah. is saying how cold and... and it's dark. And, yeah, it's so dark. So I have a really difficult time. Yes, it, it has been a long time since 87. Um, I've not been in that position, so I don't know. I mean, I, I can't speak for him. and I can't get into his mind. No. But just from what's here, I I don't believe that at all. He's a smooth talker. Why the hell would I believe that? He's been a smooth talker his whole life. His whole life. Uh, there's no reason to think that this right. is any different. So... I wish I could say our story was over, but it is not. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. In 1988, um, while he was at the jail, you know, prior to him Before being sentenced. Before being transferred, sure. And, and uh, yeah, and I believe it was when he was awaiting trial even, McNair um, chiseled two concrete blocks uh, in his cell, two concrete blocks. He chiseled those out so that he could climb through the HVAC system. So while moving him to a new cell, his little plan was thwarted, and... Uh, Behind those chiseled blocks was a flashlight and sheets and towels tied together. He was going to shimmy down the drain pipe, basically. Wow. So, but they were, they were moving they, him. They, they, right? they got him. They got him. Um, he was so working quick on that. He was working very quick, very quickly. So in October of 1992, and actually prior to this, he had, he had told an inmate. So at this point, he's in the pen. Yeah. So he's been transferred. He's been sentenced, all that stuff. He's serving his life sentence now. Uh, he gets to... Um, he gets to the pen and he's, yep, I'm going to escape again. So he tells an inmate and one of the inmates ratted him out. So fast forward a little bit. In October of 1992 at the Bismarck State Pen, he escaped through a ventilation duct and was on the lam for about 10 months after that. Wow. There were two other inmates that escaped with him, but they were found within hours and days respectively. So um, he was found in, in Grand Island, Nebraska in so August of 1993. He gets out for 10 months these other two guys just were idiots, got caught right away. Like, I mean, they... <laughs> right away, within hours and days. Like, ooh, sorry, buddy, you can't run with big dogs, huh? Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Um, so at this point, he's now known as a problem inmate and was sent to a federal prison in Pollock, Louisiana. Um, it's, so, it's so conniving. I mean, he was planning so, escapes from the very moment he was put behind bars before absolutely. even getting sentenced. But you know what? We want to know what's even more terrifying. So while he was out 
while he was transferred to a different penitentiary, um, he sends Christmas cards to the some of the staff and the prison warden or the director of the of the do NDDOCR. He sends him Christmas cards while he was and on on the land. And that guy, the um, Tim Schutzel is his name. He's the he he was the um, the director of that. Refuses to talk about what was in there. Holy so shit. that's how that's how terrifying this guy. Christmas cards to people <laughs> while he was out. Like, hey, fuckers, yeah. you can't Merry Christmas. I'm yeah. I'm out here living life. So remorse my ass. Whoa, because he's playing games. That's like that's so ballsy. It, it, it completely. So that, that gives me chills. Right? I, I'm going to say that. I'm going to guys. I'm, let me tell you. I'm going to say that a lot in Jonah the history gets, of this podcast. Jonah gets the chills a lot. <laughs> I get, yes, I do. I get the chills. Um, so in April 2006, um, he gets he gets some un. Uh, some disappointing news for him. He's unhappy with his ability for parole with his original sentences in North Dakota. Um, so he he's pissed and he's planning his next and hopefully final escape. So at this point, he starts doing some research because he's got nothing but time, of course. He uses the Freedom of Information Act to obtain the FBI records of his previous escape in North Dakota so that he would know what mistakes he had made and how authorities tracked him. He studied his own escape so that he could be better at escaping. Used the Freedom of Information Act. Raise your hand if you even know what that is. So, I, no, right? I, I mean, I've never used it, but I have a feeling it's, it's like, been used on me. It's, <laughs> <laughs> so it's. I mean, it's like uh, it's like open records, right? Sure. You know. Um, so of course, uh, at this point, he's still a model inmate. Um, he. Model-ish. Come on, model-ish well, at this point. Well, in Louisiana, they think he's model. Um, you know, like... Oh, McNair, he's such a bullshitter. <laughs> Basically, yeah. And working... So he's working alone at this point, repairing mailbags. So it's 2006. So this is, uh, this is after Hurricane Katrina, right? So right. it's these mailbags that he's repairing. They're moldy. They're musty. They're icky. Um, he takes some alone time in in the area that he's working and fashions a special container that that holds him on a pallet covered with these mailbag mailbags. So he made a mailbag escape box yep. is what you're saying. Yep. And he he brought down his food. He shoved himself into this thing. It had a breathing tube and he is sweating like crazy. Just soaked. So he's on this pallet He's in this tiny little box. Yeah, they're taking his clothes off. Uh, he was wearing a tank top and shorts. Okay. And so not much to begin so with. It's not, this is it's, Louisiana. This is Louisiana, and it's hot. It's gross, yeah. Yeah, and it's um, it's April, so it's getting humid. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been there in April. It's hot. And so he's he is on a pallet at this point. Now, here's where Louisiana makes mistake number one. They um, move this pallet, and those pallets are supposed to sit in a certain area for at least four inmate counts, right? So that way nobody's escaping, sure. right? Brilliant. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fail-safe plan. It's, it sounds like a foolproof plan. Really? Works every time. It works every time unless... I mean, you, you do four counts. Unless somebody just moves it right away. Oh. Which they did. Wait, before you do the four counts. Before ca- you do not, the four. Before, before you even do one. Before you even do one count. Before you even do one count. You move, oh. it, you move it so it's ready to go. What's a good program? So it certainly works. So <laughs> for, for McNair, for McNair, it did. So he busts out. He's he's toast. He gets out again and isn't noticed. It's it's not noticed that he's gone until there's like this oddly weird shaped wet pile of mailbags in this little area, this holding area. So, some guys walk through. Hey, uh, 
Does that pile of mailbags look weird to you? Yeah, why is that odd shaped and why is it so wet? It looks like it's leaking. It was sweat. That's how, I mean, because he was about to pass yeah. out. So, um, so he's, he's gonzo. Um, he gets over, he's, he's out. Um, not quite Shawshank Redemption drama, but I mean, he's, he's, he's going. And so he's running in, it's in, in Ball, Louisiana. Um, and shortly after his escape, like a, a couple of days, um, like maybe a day, he's stopped by law enforcement while going for a jog on the tracks. Oh, Okay. So, and you really should, uh, the, the clip was too long to listen to, but it's, watch it. You can find it on YouTube. It's interesting because he's talking to this. Oh, there's an this, audio visual clip of this? Or, yeah. Cause this is okay, 2006. Sure. Right. So, um, and, and I remember when this happened, I, I mean, cause I can remember trying to pick apart this, this officer and he, my gosh, any one of us would have done the same thing because mistake number two from the federal pen that he was in, he, um, <laughs> uh, says to McNair, he's like, well, you look a lot like this guy. Cause he's now asked for this, this mugshot. Well, sure. the pen sends over the mugshot. It's the one that he first took when he was first booked there. So oh, at this point, he's got to go. Ten year old, ten year old something. Yeah, and so he's like, "Well, this, you know, kind of looks like you." And he's like, "What? I don't, I don't look like that." Ha, that ha, that, ha, that ha, ain't me. That's kidding? not me. And he's, he's like, "Well, where's your ID?" Well, I'm just going for a jog. I'm just up the, I'm just up the, the tracks here. I can't run on the tracks. No, you can't run on the tracks. Why don't you have your ID? Well, I'm just doing work. That's why I'm in the area. Well, he, when his parents were coming down for a visit at one point, he had looked in the phone book for area towns and had remembered this hotel and where it was mm-hmm. in this in this area. He says the hotel. It sounds like it he's, sounds he, legit. He's name dropping. He sounds he's, yeah. And and I mean, he's just he's he's a talker. So he's just shooting the shit with this guy. And the officer's finally like. Well, there's nothing else I can do. Yeah, go for it. See you later. Wow. And he's where's gone. Your, where's the instinct? Nothing. Like, well, you know what? I'm. I'm just. Let's just check this out. But a how? Further. I mean, I know. I he know. did. It's, he again, did what he could. It's, it's so easy to armchair it. So he it did. is. It is. Um. So could have been like you know you look enough like this guy that right. I want to you know I right. really want to be sure. Sums off, but maybe not enough. <sighs> but I guess, I, yeah. Again, McNair bullshitter, smooth yeah. talker. We know that yeah. he's working so with his brother. The, that's what he's saying. Sorry that that. As a matter of fact, I, I retract everything I just said. That officer, that sheriff, never had a chance. It, I don't think he did. Never had a chance. I don't think he did. And and he asked, in my opinion, he asked the right questions, and he there was an answer for everything. Things just didn't add up, right? Yep. So there he was again on the run. Um, and at this point, I mean, he's breaking into um, auto dealerships, stealing cars, those types of things, re- you know, dropping them off somewhere, not going above 65, you know, I mean, just being a law-abiding citizen as much as he could. So he's zigzagging his way through the U.S., trying to th- throw them off and say that he's going to Mexico, but starts um, going into Canada back through the States, back into Canada. Wow, so and he's border he's, jumping while he's wanted. He's border no, jumping. I, I mean, he must have had a way to sneak up in there through a, a river of times, or through yep. a trail or something. Yep, yep. One was um, one was by by a, a, a raft okay. that he ended he up sinking. He rafted up in there. He rafted there, yeah. And so in the meantime, he's printing off, um, he's, he's printing off, his, he's discovered the internet, right? It's yeah, 2006. Sure. Um, so he's making fake IDs, making fake documents. He's gotten pretty good at it. He's got a laminator. Um, but 
He is finally, finally, finally apprehended in Vancouver in October of 2007. In British Columbia, Canada. Mm-hmm. So yep. it was he in Vancouver, Canada? In Van- yeah, he was in Canada. Yep. Wow, yep. so they busted him up there. They busted him up there, yep. yep. And Do you know so how he got caught up there? Does it does it say he, like... Law enforcement came across him and he just... They just saw it, him on the streets or... Um, yeah, I can't remember like exactly what it was. FBI, but yeah, but they ended up making... Like, uh, nope, it was very unsuspecting. They just ended up making contact with him and, you know, at this point... He had been featured on America's Most Wanted a gajillion times, okay. and they so know. that and so they. I mean, he was do recognizable. You, do you think if you're if you're in law enforcement, like they make you watch America's Most Wanted, like <laughs> they should, <laughs> they should watch this guy? Well, and so that was what that was what was interesting with him is um, he would know who the featured cases were on America's Most Wanted, and so he would get ready. He would get a you know a bunch of or a couple of um, his, supplies. His favorite pub in Vancouver would, would DVR his <laughs> would DVR America's Most Wanted for him. So he would like, get he would get some supplies for a couple of days and then lay low. And and so he knew because then there would be a bunch of you know a bunch of uh, tips that hey this guy's here. Well he was never there. He never came back to North Dakota. Nothing. Um, so yeah, I mean, wow, what a story. And it, it is, He's still it is, behind bars now. Though. He is still behind bars. Um, he is. That's been about 33, 32, 32, 33 years. 87 since the Almost. murder, 32 since the conviction. Yep, yep, yep. And then um, over 10 since his, since his, uh, his, last his last escape. And so now he is in um, Colorado, in a federal pen in Colorado. And uh, it is, I guess, the Alcatraz. Uh, of super, Colorado, like, yeah, and I mean Supermax. He is nobody's ever escaped from that one. Maybe. No, I mean maybe no. they have. But well, maybe probably not. right, but I mean super he was, But he, I mean his his wow. the people that he's been incarcerated with, not necessarily in the same cell. You know, we're talking about like, the Unabomber. Um, the same prison as like the Unabomber. Yes, so he, I mean so this guy he feels is cool? like, oh, I made it with the A listers, right? I I guess if that's what you think, buddy. So his, his ego is like ah, finally. Yeah. I, I know it's it's just it's a wild wild story. I really I recommend that YouTube video. So um, sources for today's episode: the man who mailed himself out of jail by Byron Christopher. He didn't mail himself, and he wasn't in jail. He was in prison, but that's fine. Um, the Twin Cities Pioneer Press and the Minot Daily News. Uh, so and a special thanks to true crime author CJ Wynn for her contribution with the uh, the intro to our awesome podcast Midwest Murder. The bone chilling intro yeah. to Midwest Murder. So Jonah, where can you find us, and how often? So you can find us every other Monday, this podcast, and it will be available anywhere that podcasts can be downloaded. You simply search the Good Talk Network and then look for Midwest Murder. You'll see our logo and the title episode by episode. So that's it. That's it. It's pretty easy. Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, everywhere that podcasts can be downloaded. And you can also, of course, if you're a Facebooker, you can catch it. We'll put it on our Facebook. It'll be on our Insta. We'll have links for you guys. So thanks for checking us out. If you're, if you're, if you're tuning in for the first time, please do rate, review, subscribe. And again, you get a new episode every two weeks on Mondays. We'll see you guys. Awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs>